From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm Peter Hartlaub, pop culture critic of the San Francisco Chronicle, here with Mick LaSalle for Movies with Mick LaSalle. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here. I'm not going to ask you anything about the movies in this intro. Since this is Rocket Man Week, I want to ask you about 15-year-old Mick LaSalle seeing Elton John at the Madison Square Garden. Set the scene for me. Uh, well... The okay in 1974, Elton John was the biggest star in the world. He was like he was almost the Beatles. He was not quite the Beatles, and they, he was doing two concerts in in Madison Square Garden. Everybody wanted to see the Friday concert because Thursday was Thanksgiving, and so everybody who went to Ticketron to buy a ticket went tried to get to, uh, November 29th. And if you couldn't get November 29th, you got November 28th, which was Thanksgiving, which means going out on Thanksgiving to see a show. And, of course, that's what I wound up getting. But for everybody who had the what they thought was the bad luck of seeing that show, they got to see John Lennon, too, because John Lennon only came to that show. Was it a surprise or was he a... Well, it, it, was, it was kind of... It was something that... I expected would happen. So it must have been a rumor that I had heard because I was telling people John Lennon is probably going to be there. And because I think it was known that Elton John sang backup vocals on Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And he said to Elton, to, uh, Elton John sang on John Lennon's song Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And he predicted there would be a number one hit. And the deal was, he said, okay, and John Lennon said, I've never had a number one hit in the United States. And he said, okay, if it's a number one hit, you have to join me on stage at Madison Square Garden. And Lennon said, okay. And so then Lennon had to show up. And so then he did uh, three songs. He, he did Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Then they did Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, but they did Elton John's version, of course. And really, Lennon didn't really have anything to do there except say "Loosing the Sky with Diamonds." And then they did, which was the best thing they did. They did "I Saw Her Standing There," which was Paul McCartney's song, and um, and that was great. So, but it was—I have to say—it was my first concert, so I didn't fully appreciate it. I was just sort of watching it. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was but good. It sounds like a lot better of a memory than watching Rocket Man for you. Yeah, Rocket Man. <laughs> well, you'll hear. But yeah, I didn't like it. But I, I do think that maybe part of the reason I didn't like it is because I know Elton John really, really well because yeah. I was exactly the right age. And I think for most people, that won't be the case. Yeah. Well, a lot on Rocket Man today. A little on Book Smart. Godzilla, King of Monsters, and your favorite movie of the week, Ma, <laughs> Leba Hertz Returns, Datebook Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Movies with Mick LaSalle. I'm Mick LaSalle, and I'm here with my former editor, Leba Hertz. Hi, Leba. Hi, everybody. All right, so Leba, we got a bunch of movies to talk about, uh, Big, mo- mo- really all big movies this week, and then we have some movies from last week. They were pretty big, too, but we're going to start with this week. What do you want to talk about first? I think we should start with Rocket Man. All right, Rocket Man. All right, now, Rocket Man is the movie I was most looking forward to this season, and maybe I expected too much, but I hated it. I mean, I, I thought it was, I thought it was just completely useless. But I expect that people who don't know anything about Elton John 
don't care about Elton John, don't even know what Elton John sounds like, or it sounded like, I should say, will think that it's a good movie. Because I, I, right now on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 90%, and I thought it was just horrible. And uh, I'll let you get because I know you're busting to say it, so just get it out. I liked it. And you know what I really liked about it? The song they didn't use. What song didn't they use? Candle in the Wind. Yeah, it's a bad song. It's, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Well, you know, Candle in the Wind's an okay song, but it was destroyed by making it about uh, about Princess Diana, you know the deal with that. You know how that, how that happened. Yes, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. You know the fax machine. Mm-hmm. No, I know about the fax machine. Okay. Well, what happened is that Elton John uh, sent a message, I think by fax, to Bernie Taupin and said, "We need a song for Princess Diana's uh, memorial, and uh, it should be something like Candle in the Wind." And he thought he meant candle in the wind and so he just rewrote candle in the wind and it's ludicrous it doesn't make goodbye english rose it's so stupid and and has nothing to do with her living a life like a candle when she was totally not like marilyn monroe other than she was 36 when she died but we digress or i should say i digress let's i want to let me tell you by why but why this movie is really bad even though i think most people won't know and and in that way i guess it's not really bad I'm exactly the right age, okay? I'm exactly the right age. I used to be t- so young, and now I'm so old, that the first version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds that I heard was Elton John's. So you okay? didn't hear the Beatles version first? Didn't hear it. Never heard it. Wow. But, no. So I'm like in this, this, this very, very specific demographic that was too not not only too young for the Beatles, but too young to have heard the Beatles later on before I heard Elton John's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. People, you can't see me now, but the look of my face right now will tell you how, like, shocked, appalled. It doesn't be appalled. It's just an accident of birth. It doesn't matter. It's the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It doesn't matter. So anyway, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, anyway, so... Uh, so I was right in there. Now, my early, well, I'd say high school years, if you count ninth grade as high school, which in New York was junior high school. But my early high school years really coincide with the time when Elton John was huge. And when I say he was huge, I don't mean that he was like Bruce Springsteen or David Bowie or Billy Joel in the 70s. I mean, he was almost like the Beatles. He was bigger than those guys. He was enormous. So it only was about three years that he was that big. But in those three years, he was like amazingly big. Okay. And so we're talking about the years between like when I was like 13 and 16. And so I know, I mean, I went to parties, they're playing Elton John. I, you know, I, I, you know, I waited online to get Elton John tickets. I, I had two Elton John t-shirts, one that was color and one was like black and white. Um, I was, Elton John was my favorite guy for a time. And then he, then he kind of just sucked all of a sudden. It was kind of funny how that happened, but, but that's another story. So I know I have this guy's voice in my head, and the, the Taron Edgerton doesn't sound anything like him. Now I know that everybody's saying, "Oh, he sounds just like him." He doesn't. He doesn't. He sounds like Elton John. He sounds like seventy-year-old Elton John. He sounds like a bad imitation of seventy-year-old Elton John. Elton John had a high voice. Now, he, now it sounds like this. He sounds. He, 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 Elton John sounds terrible now, but. 
he had a high pitched voice. I mean, he had a, not a high pitched voice. He had a, a wide range that went very high. Very hard to sing Elton John songs because you wind up going into a falsetto, and he didn't go into a falsetto though. He sometimes used a falsetto. He was a great vocalist. It's the part that nobody thinks of with Freddie Mercury. Everybody thinks about because he was a great, great vocalist, you know. But the ideal thing would have been to get a guy who looks like Elton John and just just let Elton John sing because to have Taron Egerton there and everybody say, oh, he deserves an Oscar. He sounds just like him. He, I mean, you have to just, all you have to do is have two ears. You listen to Elton John and you listen to Taron Egerton and he sounds horrible and it makes me crazy so i'm listening to this and saying no no this can't be plus he looks stupid and then okay aside from that so you wipe out the music part of the movie that's no good then you have elton john's life it's going to tell you the story of elton john's life all right so they decided that they were going to do this kind of fantasia thing right they're going to do this kind of thing where all of a sudden people start singing out of nowhere and they happen to be singing elton john's songs that's interesting. It's sort of like Pennies from Heaven with Elton John songs. That's, that, that has a potential thing there. Okay. But the, it's a little bit difficult because Elton John and Bernie Taupin were like the least autobiographical singer, uh, uh, songwriters of the last 50 years. They never wrote about themselves, like ever. And when Bernie Taupin did, it was about Bernie Taupin, not Elton John. And actually, that's where I think Bernie Taupin actually tanked Elton, Elton John's career in 75 and 76 because Bernie Taupin's lyrics got horrible as his marriage started falling apart. Anyway, I know about all this stuff. Um, okay, so you have that, but it's a challenge. It's interesting. But then what story do they choose to tell? Do you tell the story about this guy? He's a great songwriter. He has this amazing life. He does it. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to go into formula. Okay, what formula are you going to do? Oh, too bad. Elton John doesn't have a dead brother. So we can't do that. We can't do the wrong one died like they did with... Uh, Dewey with Cox. Dewey Cox <laughs> and with Johnny Cash and, and with uh, Ray Charles. You can't do that. Yeah, um, but Dewey Cox was the best. But you got a better one. You got the drug addict who gets better or the alcoholic who gets better. So the whole movie is like a behind-the-music video, a behind-the-music TV show from VH1 from those days, those who remember that from about 15, 20 years ago, where it's just about a guy. It's about an alcoholic in recovery. Can I tell you something? Elton John, it's the one thing that Elton John is just like every other drunk. He's just like every other drunk or every other addict. He has the same story. It starts off with a drink. Then he starts drinking more. Then he starts drinking more. And guess what? Now he's a full-blown drunk and he's an addict. He's snorting cocaine. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. That's just like every single person who's an addict. It's like it's nothing to do with him except in the, it's like doing it's like it's like doing a story about somebody and then you're doing a story about them going to the bathroom. It, it's like everybody Ooh. does that. Or it's <laughs> like if you found out that Shakespeare Wow, Shakespeare really, he, he overate sometimes. Actually, you know, he may have because somebody said he died of too much merrymaking, so maybe he ate and drank too much. It's sort of like doing, and you, and you start, decide to fictionalize this story by making a story about Shakespeare in, I don't know, Overeaters Anonymous or something. It, it's, it's, so, it's so reductive and, and yet cliched. And, and if you want to know about Elton John's life, it's not really anything about Elton John's life because... The whole time sequence is off. Now, when Bohemian Rhapsody was done, people, you know, criticized the fact that 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 Freddie Mercury didn't have AIDS at the time of the Live Aid concert, and they criticized that 
that they, they just changed the sequence towards the end the end of the, the his life but it was a very minor shift most of the things that happened in Bohemian Rhapsody were omissions but what happened with Elton John is like it is so it is it is completely um completely wrong in terms of time sequence you have stuff that happened in 1970 1976 happening in 1970 you have songs written in 1985 being played in 1969 it it makes no sense even when it's not in the total fantasia part of it so the songs are no good you don't really find out about anything about elton john the oh the stage performances they're no good either because taron edgerton he's no rami malik <laughs> not to say not even elton john i think the whole movie is a complete disaster Although I have a very specific perspective because I am, guess what, 60, okay? <laughs> and most of the people in, in who go to see this movie are going to be younger. I had a guy writing to me saying, oh, no, the movie was great. Taron Edgerton thing. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 56. I said, you're too young. <laughs> you're too young. You don't remember. You were 11 years old. when He was 11 years old when I was seeing Elton John at Madison Square Garden when I was 15. This guy was 11. So by the time he woke up, you know, and he was like 15 years old, Elton John was already finished. So my, anyway. my perspective on Elton John was I was kind of a, a hard rocker that didn't take any drugs or drink alcohol, but I was like into the Velvet Underground and Underground Radio and all that. So I didn't really like Elton John, but he was really popular my junior and senior year. Yeah. But then there was one song I did what like did by you, what him. Did, what year did you graduate? In uh, 1972. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. He was so, really getting there, yeah. So there was one song I actually did like by him, which was, of all things, Rocket Man. But now I'm listening to his music all over again. I go, gee, he's better than I remember. Oh, yeah. But I do have a question to pose to you. Yes. You're complaining about Taron Egerton's voice, but yet your major complaint about Bohemian Rhapsody is that Rami Malek lip syncs. I take it all back. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I wasn't complaining about that. Rami Malek lip syncs as being a problem with Bohemian Rhapsody. I was saying that Rami Malek lip syncing was a problem about giving giving him the Academy Award. <laughs> it's like you know, because basically, he his performance benefits tremendously from the fact that we just heard him sing a song and he was amazing. And so some of that glow carries over. So that's my that's my problem. But Rami Malek though is is really good at imitating the stage you know, they basically oh, oh yeah I left out the other thing the whole movie and this must have been made with Elton John's participation and it's he kind loved of it, a oh, of course he loved it the whole movie is poor me oh oh I was so sensitive and my mom was so mean to me my father was so weird everything everybody was so oh oh it was so terrible it's like give me a break you know come on guy you know get, get a life this is ridiculous you you're a very lucky man you had some bad things happen to you, but you were born with this amazing talent. And don't try to make us buy the idea that your whole life has been just a, a stinking pile of garbage because that's how the movie's presented. It's like his whole life is awful. And oh, by the way, I don't know why Elton John likes it because it presents him as, as a, like a buffoon on stage. Oh, yeah. One of the things they leave out of the movie, they leave out this out of the movie. And this to me was like a like big deal. By the way. All this stuff I'm saying is in an article, like a next day story that's coming out, like a, probably like a day after the review. I have to ask uh, Rob, uh, my editor, um, the new editor, the new Liba. I have to ask Rob um, when it's going to run, but but it's going to run very soon. But um, what was I saying? Oh, what they left out. What they left out. 
totally forgot what I was saying. I okay, know. that's because we're oh going to go God. to the next movie. And no, I totally forget. This is not good. Well, I mentioned that I was 60, <laughs> right? I was, uh, I was doing a speech one time, and I was saying that, uh, I was saying, well, there's two reasons for this. And I go through the whole first reason, and the second reason I forgot. And then uh, somebody was asked me a question. I said, oh, yeah, I remember. And then I did it again. And the second time I did it, it, the first time I did it was funny. Everybody thought I was charming and all this stuff. Second time I did it, they were worried about me. This is like five years ago. So it was something else that was really wrong with the movie. Oh, well. Oh, well. I totally forgot. It's in my article, well, though, so I'll Well, anyway, I think the next movie we should actually talk about is because if some of you are listening closely, you can hear him approaching. Oh, no, 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 Lee, but why don't you talk about Souvenir? Souvenir. Talk about Souvenir but so I, I can remember what I was talking about. Souven yeah. Souvenir is a movie that opened uh, last Friday, and it got very good reviews, including from the Chronicle. I went and saw it. I really disliked it. Um, and I thought the problem with the movie, it's about this couple, the young woman who's played by Tilda Swinton's daughter, Holly, and her relationship with this elder gentleman, a little older, not too much older, who is a worldly cultured diplomat who happens to be a drug addict. And she stays with this guy for a really long time. And then what happens, I'm watching the movie saying to myself, the guy is unlikable, the guy is not charming, there's no chemistry between the two of them. And I'm going, why is everybody raving about it, even though it's based on a true story? I can say one small thing is the woman who plays uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, um, mother is Tilda Swinton, and so she's good. But as I said, is I'm just baffled well, by but, this but, whole thing. Well, just but you did, but you have to <coughs> you have to also give a shout out to uh, Alan who liked it. Yes, Alan Johnson reviewed it, reviewed it, in it the and gave it a very very good review, and I believe on Rotten Tomatoes it's doing very well. I, yeah, well, so, so is Rocket Man. Now I, rem I remember what I was going to say. Okay, <laughs> what happens is you start panicking that you're not remembering, and then forget about it. you never remember. Um, the, the thing I wanted to also say that they didn't touch on in the movie, and maybe nobody cares about this but me, but Elton John, you know, they emphasize how he looked on stage wearing all those outlandish costumes, mm -hmm. but they didn't in any way show him off stage dressed the way he dressed as Elton John off stage. And the thing is, is that Elton John was, was, was an influence on fashion because every, he basically was in a very slovenly era. And when I was a kid... Um, I wanted to look like Elton John. It, I didn't want to look like Robert Plant. I wanted, to, you know, who, you know, he's just wearing those skin tight pants and shirts too small, and he just looked silly to me. Elton John always wore these these really cool suits, and with this, of course, at the time, big lapels and and you know, big heels and long Edwardian coats, and he'd wear a walking stick, and sometimes you have a hat, <clears throat> and I thought that looked really cool, and. I think he kind of brought in a more tailored look. Now, in, in a way, it was kind of terrible because I got my wish. I started looking like Elton John <laughs> in my 20s. I said, really, uh oh, my hair is going. I'm going to look like Elton John, which was a big... In fact, I remember looking in the mirror when I was in my 20s and realizing, I'm going to go bald. I mean, sooner or later, it's going to happen. I'm actually going to have no hair. And I thought, what am I going to look like? You know, I'm going to, be, I'm going to look like horrible. And then I thought... Nah, I'm just going to look like Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt better, you know, because when you're a young person, you kind of need, like, like role models of, like, you know, you need role models. Anyway. So, anyway, I was trying to get back to the next movie we're talking about because yes, he's we, approaching. If you listen very carefully, yeah. you can hear coming in the background and people panicking behind the walls here and about to crash down the walls. 
and we think it's Godzilla's in the building. Yeah, Godzilla. I'd be very curious uh, what Peter would think of this movie. I wonder if Peter has seen it. Has Peter seen it? Peter has not seen Godzilla yet. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it with my kids this weekend. You did though. like the first Godzilla, though. I enjoyed it. Oh, I, cool. I didn't What's think it was fantastic. Oh, okay. I think you're mixing me up. I'm the Pacific Rim fan. You're the Pacific Rim yeah. fan. Yeah. I, I remember I seeing, am mistaken. I remember yeah. Godzilla yeah. versus um, King Kong. And what I remember the coming attractions like a billion times, and they would go, King Godzilla has the brain of a pea, and King Kong has a brain that's really big. So oh, yeah? we have to depend on King Kong because he's smart, and Godzilla's really stupid. Yeah. Well, now we're we're down to Godzilla. To basically, this is a movie. I, you know, they 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 start this movie at least at this, the screening that I went to, which was a public screening. They start this with a short where the director, I think his, his name is Doherty, might be Michael Doherty. Um, He's there talking about how when he was a kid, he really liked Mothra and uh, go, was it go, go, Ghidorah Mothra. and uh, Godzilla and Rodan. I remember Rodan. Rodan, yeah. Rodan, I it remember be, Mothra. it's very Mothra important when you're talking about Rodan because people think you're talking about the French sculptor. So you have to be, <laughs> usually though in context, you can figure out which one is being referred to. <laughs> but anyway, I'm watching this movie and it's like, yeah, I can tell guy because yeah it seems like this is just like a kid going crazy with him he you know he's going crazy with this opportunity to recreate this but the movie is almost non-existent except for the monsters it's the monsters fighting and i have to say i and i and this may be considered blasphemy in some circles but i don't even get the point of rodan i mean i get the point of Ghidorah three heads i get the point of godzilla and i and i got definitely the point of mothra mothra because like mothra is the most disgusting thing on earth but, the, but in the mothra movie they needed mothra to save the world interesting well they they the need... little fairies begging for mothra to come to come out of his whatever to help them well that's why i was doing the mothra song and that's what they and well that's it and and because mothra knew his name <laughs> uh, and i think by the way i'm very surprised that Ghidorah uh, is is a man is a male anyway three heads um the, the movie is just all monster fighting and with and it's and there's not much of a rooting interest because we're supposed to root for Godzilla who previously we haven't liked too much because he has the, the brain of a pea because the brain of a pea <laughs> the world is destroyed I think I thought the movie at one point was going to get interesting because I thought that the movie was going to be about the lunacy of ideology in the face of of actual evidence and this is what I thought the movie was. Like you have this terrible situation where monsters are all over the place. And so you have the, the military just wants to blow up everything because that's the only thing that they know. You know, that's the one thing that's like the, was the, old, the other thing when, when the only thing he's got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And then you have the environmentalists and they're crazy too because they're saying things like, well, you know, but the human race basically can survive if we become like pets <laughs> to Godzilla we have to become Godzilla's pets and it's like oh that's that's fun and then you have another environmentalist who just wants all the monsters to just go all like go on a rampage because that'll be better for the earth well it might be better for the earth but it won't necessarily like be better for people on the earth so it's they just so I thought that the movie was just a, a satire of of like the left and the right who like become entrenched in positions that sometimes and don't even like see the the practical outcomes, but it's not that. It's it's actually on the side of the 
more environmentally minded, but they have no power, and it's really just monster fights. And it's monster fights, and it's monster fights. They destroyed San Francisco the last time, oh. and they couldn't destroy San Francisco this time. And they, they don't want to, I guess they don't want to be unoriginal and destroy New York. So they destroyed Boston in this one. Really? Yeah, That's at one point. Yeah, they avoid. Paul Revere statue comes flying down, I guess. No, I didn't see it like that, but they they (laughs) really, they take, they do a mess on Boston. At one point, although it never happens, like, like it's like dropped as a subject. It's not like it's, it's, we're saved from that fate. It seems to be, unless I'm missing something, somebody says there's going to be a 12 megaton uh, uh, nuclear, nuclear blast going to be happening in 10 10 minutes and somebody says what does that mean and the answer is well he said in about 10 minutes it's going to be really bad to be a Red Sox fan <laughs> <laughs> which is the only good line in the movie <laughs> but but, uh, but then it never happened so I don't know it's just if you want to see monsters see the movie it's not bad you know what it's you just mean, not good you know what reminds me of, of, of in a different way is that Aunt Hathaway movie Colossal I think it was called Colossal that was good that was really good and, I liked and that there movie. you actually had the monsters it was actually there was a meaning and a reason for it all and it was, that was good. That was like a movie that I, th- you know, fell under the radar. Oh yeah, and just deserved a better fate. It did deserve a better fate, but it's you know, it's and looked- the ending is, and I'm as Mick knows, I'm very good at these things. I had no clue at that ending. That was that was a very good movie. Um, and there were the but monsters. you know, movies, movies that are just like you just have to accept that that movies. I mean, it's like this. I mean, most movies are not intended for smart people most movies are are intended you know they, they're they're fastball right down the middle and that's fine that's fine so you should never regret being smart enough to like movies that smart people like of course there's some movies that smart people like that they like only because they think this is a movie that smart people like but i'm talking about genuinely like that movies that are that are pitch you know that, like satire always does bad you know, because well, it only appeals to a very small mm-hmm. fraction of people. So, you know, never regret it. I, I don't, you know, I just mm-hmm. don't think that uh, not everything was made to be very popular. If they just exist at all and get an audience at all, it's a form of success, you know, as long as it didn't cost $100 million to make. And, and here's a movie that talking about <coughs> unpopular yet, like, successful in, in what it does is Booksmart. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, you know, I think Booksmart... I, it's bombing, and I, I can't say that it breaks my heart that it is. I I gave it a good review because I thought it was good, but I can't say I, I particularly liked it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a I, good I, um, I think that the movie is so self-congratulatory, so we are the nice people, so politically correct, so annoying. Not, not annoying, so self-conscious, not annoying, that I just found it a little bit annoying. I found it annoying. Um, and I was thinking when I saw it is, you know, everybody's going crazy that this is a, a movie written by women, women directed by a woman that's about two women and that it's a comedy and it's about, you know, young people, teenagers. And this is supposed to be such a great breakthrough. And you know what? Last year there was a movie called Never Going Back. It was written and directed by the same woman, Augustine Frizzell. And it was great. I just thought it was just terrific. I thought it was a lot better than Book Smart because it wasn't it wasn't it didn't have this kind of self-consciousness about it. It was just like a pure just a pure expression and 
Uh, I, th- I thought it was just a great. No, no I mean, yeah, you know, I want to overplay it. It's not Citizen Kane, but I, I just thought it was a really good movie. I mean, I gave it a little man jumping out of the chair. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, I love, I love, I love that movie. And oh, I thought not. You gave Booksmart ju- no, clapping. No, Booksmart was clapping. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and kind of a vaguely grudging clapping because you know when we yeah. we can give clapping is either four stars out of five or three and a half stars out of five when we talk to the Hearst people, and I gave it three and a half stars. But anyway, but nobody is going to go crazy over two, you know, kind of white trash uh, girls from Dallas. You know what I mean? Just poor, poor, no money, but who work as waitresses. Nobody's going to care about them because it's not, they're not, you know, liberals from California who who live in huge houses and, and Southern California and just pat themselves on the back about how wonderful they are. So, you know, it... it I don't know. I guess he never going back and don't even bother seeing Booksmart. But I don't the think you The thing about Booksmart is, to me, it was sort of, it followed in the formula of what these male movies were like. And so to me, there wasn't really that much originality, except you had two women doing it. But I have to say, there was one actress, not one of the leads, that I thought was great. What's Billy she Lord. Who's that? Shed, that's oh, yeah, Carrie every, Fisher's daughter. Everybody likes Billy Lord in yeah. this. I thought she was good. That's yeah. Carrie Fisher's daughter. That's Carrie Fisher's daughter. Oh, wow. Is this her first movie? I've never seen it oh, before. She's been in other things small. This is one of her bigger parts, but she's been in a lot of other things, wow. including wow. one of the Star Wars, like I think it was Rogue Nation. It uh, could be one of those she, Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Is that the one her mother was alive to be in? or? Well, her mother wasn't in that. That was the one. I think it's the one where at the end, her mother, they have the face of her oh. mother. It was, yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. Wasn't, it was one of the satellite um, Star Wars films. Okay. By the way, we left out one of the movies from uh, this week. Well... We we have it's the two word movie the two two, yeah, le- yeah, two yeah. letter movie yes I was waiting for that because now after Godzilla has left the building I'm like panicking because I hear this voice coming at me with with guns and and sweetness yeah. and it's called Ma Ma this is Octavia Spencer and it's it's not really a horror movie I don't know is horror everybody's calling it a horror thriller but. But I, I don't know if, if it's hard. Can you have a horror movie that's not supernatural? I guess you can. Yeah. Because that would be like a but slasher movie. But what was the movie. one with uh, James Caan and Kathy Bates? Uh, Misery. That's a horror movie. Is that a horror movie? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then, then this is then this is a horror movie. Um, this is a movie. I okay. I had the fun of watching this, and I'm saying some of this for for two people. They've heard this already, but for the rest of you, I saw this movie, and for some reason, I was surrounded by teenagers. And it was a blast watching. They were going crazy. And they were laughing in all the right spots. And they were gasping every time something stupid happened. Because this movie is deliberately, I mean, this movie is deliberately far-fetched. It's not like trying to be realistic. And it's about, it's about this woman. What happens is that, is that these kids ask a woman, just picked out on the street, if she would buy liquor for them. Just like in the old days. And she said, and she talks to him for a bit and she decides to do it and this is Octavia Spencer and what happens is that they don't know but she went to school with their parents she had a very bad high school high school situation and she has been brooding about this for 30 years and so and this is what's nice about Octavia Spencer's performance she sees in this kid these kids one or the other thing, she sees them as an opportunity to have a second chance at high school. Or, if that doesn't work, 
to take revenge on their parents by doing terrible things to the kids. And for a long time in the movie, she doesn't know which way it's going to go because she's crazy. She's crazy. And it's really fun. Octavia Spencer you know, is a real actress. And so she's playing this internal life for this woman. She also has a, she has a great face. And it's really fun to see that face be angry and crazy because it, it, it just the face just changes just so completely from the smiling nice face that you usually get and she just she just seems nuts anyway the film the thing that the kids were screaming about is that the kids keep on going back to ma's house ma is i think ma is pretty much crazy 15 minutes into the movie anybody would say okay we're not we're not going to ma's house anymore i mean you would just say that there's no way but of course, they keep on going back or else, or else there's no movie. But the tone of the movie is so extreme that it justifies anything that's far-fetched because it's not quite in a realistic convention. The other thing is, and that's why I'm not going to give you any more details about it, um, is that you kind of know what kind of movie this is going in. You know why you want to see it if you want to see it. But what I like about this movie is that unlike a lot of these horror thrillers where basically they have one idea. It's like, you know, Santa Claus is a serial killer or something. And that's the whole idea, you know, whatever it is. This movie, even if you know the kind of movie it is, you don't know how they're going to do it because it, it is so extreme. It gets so awful and it and so crazy so that... I, I, I'm very curious what the reviews are. I think some critics may say, oh, this is so outlandish. It's, I never know what other critics are going to say. I can never guess. But to me, that's what, that's what makes it. You know, you walk out of there. Everybody walked out of there saying, wow. And then some people walked out of saying, wow, that was no good. And then they talked for a half hour about how it was no good and laughed and recreated the movie. And they didn't realize that they loved it. And they're going to go home and tell everybody about how bad it was. And, and in the way they describe how bad it was, all their friends are going to go see it. You know, so, you know, it's possible that, that it won't get the respect it deserves. But I think it may get the audiences because, I mean, word of mouth has got to be good on this. And just a, a, a personal note is Octavia Spencer is one of the nicest women you could ever meet. Oh, you met her? Yeah. What she's she's really, I mean, she was doing almost a Beast of the Southern Wild. I think oh. it was one she won the Academy Award for. She, she won the Academy Award, I thought, for uh, oh, um, the, uh, uh, help. Help, uh, the help, that's what it was. And so she was there, and she actually sent um, one of the publicists. I mean, you have to understand, these actors and actresses tend to treat their, their, their publicists like dirt. Oh, man, they and do. And she was just the opposite. And he said to me, she sent me um, beautiful stationery, a thank you note, and everything for helping me around. So. Well, she probably doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> no, I think she does. I don't know. I no, I just said that was yeah. that was her first. That was a yeah. breakthrough movie. Right. You know, a lot of these people they they stop yeah. being as nice as they were, but well, I hope not. You know, she made it as a, at a grown up age. Yeah, which is I said. It's, it's really, somebody said, "Why is she doing this movie?" I said, "She's at that age where these are about the only parts she's going to get." Oh no, no, I don't want. Well, no, yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But I, I you know, she's a character actor. Yeah. She could work forever. Uh, no, I, I think that this is an opportunity to be the star of the movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Most of the time, she's not the star of the movie. Exactly. Even even in um, even in the movie that she made, the hidden the hidden, hidden figures, figures, right? She was really the third lead yeah. in that, so she's very rarely the the star. And the same thing actually with um, with the help. She wasn't the lead. Yeah. She won supporting actress. I think she won supporting actress for that. But anyway, yeah, she is great. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and one of the actually one of the the uh, young women from Booksmart, the uh, the the lesbian, uh, the not the lesbian lead, but Beanie? the les- but no, but no, but the lesbian friend. Oh, I know who you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she is one of the stars uh, in it. Oh. She's she's very good. You know, yeah, by the way, talking about back to really quick on Booksmart, is I could have read this wrong, but I read that Beanie's brother is Jonah Hill. I yeah, could be totally wrong. Well, they look it. alike. I could see yeah. it. I could see the resemblance. So anyway, I thought that was odd. Okay, so okay, and so then we're we have go one more, one right? One, one week, yeah. To um, and this is this one baffles me because uh, before you go into it, what did what do you usually think about Will Smith? Just really quick. I well, you know, he's growing on me, but generally. I'm not crazy about okay. him. Okay, and then what do you usually but, but think? I, but I've been liking him for the last okay. ten, five, okay. five, okay. six years. Then, I didn't like him when he was popular. Okay, so now my question is, what do you usually think about Guy Ritchie? I usually pick up a cross and back up, uh, <laughs> and back up from in the room until t- 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 I'm safely out of the sight of a Guy Ritchie movie. His, okay. I think it's like the, I think up until this movie <laughs> that he's the, the worst the worst filmmaker I've ever seen. I, you know, it's okay. for so many reasons. I just think that that he's he's horrible. I mean, one I, one of the things I said, I said he's the worst screenwriter in the world, but he's not the worst filmmaker in the world because somewhere you can find that you know, like about maybe a half dozen people with less directorial talent, but fortunately they've been safely diverted into other fields of endeavor. So he's the worst director of any of the people right. who actually get to direct yeah. movies. That's what I said up until. Okay. Yeah. Shush, shush. Okay. So, Will Smith for me has been eh, eh. Guy Ritchie. I probably more than you find him repulsive. And the thing is, oh, I don't know. The It'd thing is, I, the only movie I ever thought that was half decent was the first Sherlock because Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law probably ignored all of his direction and made it tolerable. So we have <sighs> a new movie that's out starring Will Smith, directed by Guy Ritchie, yeah. called Aladdin. What do you think about it? I thought it was good. Good movie. <laughs> Uh, I really liked it. Um, I like Will Smith. Uh, I think Will. I've liked Will Smith for like six or seven years. I didn't like him in things like. Um, I never in, enjoyed him in uh, stuff like Men in Black or when he was. I do like, actually really like that, but stuff. I didn't like Concussion or or um, his performance in Concussion or um, Pursuit of Happiness. I thought it was like. Eh. Yeah, I liked him in both those, and yeah, I, I, didn't I like him in and I really liked him in that crazy movie where he he. Uh, Decides he's going to kill himself and he he's going to will all his body parts to different people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, no, I, I, I actually that, that's I, a, that's yeah, a big box. I actually office like Men in Black. So Men in Black, yeah, I yeah. don't like that. I I'm didn't dislike. I mean, Will Smith is kind of like. Eh. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, the, I, the, first of all, you know, it it's kind of like uh, Beauty and the Beast. They, uh, you know, they use live action. Look, they used to, you know, in the old days, they used to be able to do things in animation that you can't do. <laughs> you can't do in in live action these days not so much even 1991 there were things you could do now you could do anything and so to me you, know, you get a live action version of it it's sort of the best of both worlds you get a lot of you know the thing you know the the the, the fantasy things that you can do um and then you also you also get uh, you, you also get you know like the romance is a lot better in this one because it's actual people and then the other thing is that a lot of people really like Robin Williams as the genie, but I find Robin Williams in that um, 
Uh, is the statute of limit, limitations up? Can you actually like not like too something soon? with Rod? Is it too soon not to like anything with Rod Williams? I, but I, I thought he was annoying. I actually liked him in the lab. I think it's the only reason I liked the movie. Oh man, I just I couldn't can't take it. Yeah. it, it I just all that stuff that, that that's like riffing and all. I never found that funny. I, I never. I I just never found that funny. I like him. When he was, you know, just playing it halfway straight. Um, so anyway. This yeah, I thought it was beautiful to look at. It was, it was nicely paced. It wasn't n- no ridiculous action sequences like he usually does. Um, no, I think everybody, I believe everybody in the movie is an American accent, so you don't have any of this kind of I Cockney th- thing. I thought that I thought the uh, two leads were were English or British or Pakistani or Indian. Well, maybe I repressed it. There were some, ca- some casting issues going on. Somebody actually withdrew because he wasn't. Because he was very white, I yeah. forgot who it was. It was very controversial, and he withdrew. He withdrew because they didn't like him being cast because he was white to be playing Aladdin. Yeah, was he was wh- pretty wh- famous? I can't remember who it was. So it was an actual white actor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon <laughs> white actor. Yeah, because I, I think if you're Egyptian, you're white. I mean, Mubarak is a white guy. Yeah, I mean that's what they're. And and yeah. and and I mean, well, I mean, um, that's I mean, a that's a multiracial yeah. uh, uh, yeah. country. Um, you know, Sadat was black, yeah. and, and actually, when you look at the, it's very interesting when you go to like the Metropolitan Museum, and you look at the whole all the Egyptian mm-hmm. stuff, you see uh, a mix of black and white people, mm-hmm. and and there's really doesn't seem to be any uh, consistency of hierarchy. No, it's not like you know. Or one thing or the other. All the rules they, yeah. they they vary, so it's, it's that's interesting. But anyway, um, yeah, I thought it was, it was delightful, and and of course, I'm not a big fan of animation. So when I see an Aladdin, it's live action, and it's you know it kind of it appeals to me. Whereas I think a lot of people really like it, and also too a lot of the younger critics, I believe, may have grown up, you know, watching Aladdin on on you know just on you know, what was it. Uh, YouTube, I don't know. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just like on a continual loop. Yeah. Yeah, on a loop. So kind of like every year, Wizard of Oz for me and you know, Mary Poppins. Yeah, that's every year. But, you know, if you grew up in the age of, of video, your parents would just plop you in front of a set and, and just, uh, you know, play the same movie over and over again. It's just like make my it, just get you shut up. me for sending them the Barbie DVDs. Yeah? Yeah, one called me up and said, I hate you. Why? Because her daughter me. kept watching it over and over and over again. Yeah. She had to sit through the whole well, thing. I mean, that's, that, that is the way of you know babysitting is you, you just do that. I, I, I can mm-hmm. see why. Um, anyway, so I think we covered it. I think we got it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Liba, do you have anything else to say? Do you have anything you want to add? Here? No, uh, right now I think we're good. I, I, oh, I think Godzilla and Ma have disappeared. Yeah, Godzilla and Ma, yeah, it's less banging. Anyway, so um, thank you all for listening, and come back next week or the week after for another thrilling and exciting episode. And for the San Francisco Chronicle, I'm Mick LaSalle. And I'm Liba Hertz. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks to Mick LaSalle and Leba Hertz. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.